Welcome to the Trucking Market Update on the State of Freight Podcast, brought to you by FTR, where we share timely transportation intelligence with you on a weekly basis. The Trucking Market Update is hosted by FTR's Vice President of Trucking, Avery Weiss. As Avery presents the information in the podcast, you can follow along and review the graphs and indicators by downloading the PDF or PowerPoint of the presentation from our podcast landing page. A link to the PDF and PowerPoint is available now at www.ftrintel.com podcast. From there, you can also find past episodes and downloads for the Trucking Market Update, as well as the weekly rail market update with Todd Tronowski and much more. That link again is www.ftrintel.com podcast. Welcome to FTR's weekly trucking market update. I'm Avery Weiss, Vice President of Trucking. This is episode 191 for the week of December 5th, 2022. Before we start, a reminder that you can download a PDF with graphics related to this discussion at www.ftrintel.com podcast. Okay, before we start with the data, I wanted to close the loop on the issue we started with last week. Unless you're living under a rock, you almost certainly know that Congress averted a railroad labor work stoppage by imposing a tentative agreement on the parties. In general, it is not an unusual step for Congress to intervene. Indeed, that happened 30 years ago when we had our last rail strike. But in that case, it happened a few days after the strike occurred. The circumstances were a little different this time, however. Uh, Railroads and unions' uh, leaderships had already agreed um, to a tentative uh, pact uh, to avoid a strike back in in September. However, a key union failed to ratify it, and there was really no process in place for that to change. So unlike what happened in September and back in 1992, there wasn't any particular reason for Congress to wait because the parties weren't going to be negotiating. I should point out, though, that in September, Congress never actually did have to intervene because there was a uh, tentative agreement before the strike. The only drama, really, uh, last week was whether a Democratic proposal to add seven days of sick leave to the tentative agreement would pass. In the end, it really wasn't all that much drama. Uh, While the House, as expected, passed that measure, it failed uh, fairly significantly in the Senate, uh, in the clean version, if you will, passed uh, by an overwhelming margin of 80 to 15. So uh, I guess the upshot is if you were hoping that you would get a few extra thousand loads of coal to carry uh, for Christmas, you're out of luck. You're going to have to leave that to the railroads and to Santa Claus, I suppose. Okay, let's get to the data. We'll start with diesel prices. Uh, Last week, I said that the previous week had been a good week at the pump. But last week was a really good week at the pump. The national average price of on-highway diesel plunged 17.4 cents a gallon during the weekend of December 5th. That's the seventh largest single-week drop ever and the largest since November of 2008. The average price was $4.96.7 a gallon, marking the first time that the national average has been below $5 a gallon Uh, since early October. Diesel prices remain elevated in California, as they always are, and also in New England and the Central Atlantic. But 
The price drops in the latest week were sizable in all regions and were led by a 22.6 cent drop in New England. It is possible that we could continue to see declines, assuming distillate inventories continue to rise as they've been doing. FDR's analysis is that at $85 a barrel, which is slightly higher than when crude trading uh, is trading today, diesel prices should be around $4.25 a gallon based on historical patterns. If we assume that we're headed in that direction, then we arguably could see prices come down another 70 cents or so in the coming months. Now, we don't necessarily expect that to happen, but it certainly wouldn't be unreasonable if crude uh, remains stable, and in fact, it's trading pretty consistently between $75 and $80 a barrel. Okay, so normally this is part of the podcast where we discuss the spot market, but we've had a delay in getting the data. So rather than wait indefinitely on on that data, we're going to move forward. However, one thing I can tell you, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going out on a limb on this, is that load volume in the latest week was sharply higher than it was during the week before. And how can I do that? Well, the latest week was the week after Thanksgiving. So you do the math. Okay, let's wrap up the weekly indicators with a couple of others. Uh, First, mortgage rates, uh, which eased uh, nearly a tenth of a point in the latest week, with the average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage settling at 6.49%. Freddie Mac attributed the decreases over the past several weeks to optimism that the Federal Reserve will slow its pace of interest rate hikes. Finally, let's talk about unemployment benefits which we haven't discussed in quite a while. Although seasonally adjusted initial claims for unemployment benefits are not changing much, continued claims have risen sharply over the past couple of months. Those claims have jumped 110,000 seasonally adjusted over the past two weeks and 262,000 since late September. For the week ending November uh, 19th, continued claims were 1.6 million and were the highest since late February. We'll come back to the labor market to end the podcast, but first I want to address a few other indicators relevant to manufacturing and to the consumer sector. We'll start with the Institute for Supply Management's Manufacturing Index, which in November uh, indicated that the manufacturing sector contracted or contracted (laughs) for the first time since May of 2020. The ISM index fell to a reading of 49.0 in November from 50.2 in October, which was just barely above that 50 threshold uh, between contraction and expansion. Um, The two components of the index that are most closely associated with uh, freight demand, that's new orders and production, deteriorated in November. Production eased only eight-tenths of a point, Uh, and remained in slight expansion territory at uh, 51.5. New orders declined two points to 47.2, sinking that component of the index deeper into contraction. Now let's look where the consumer is. Real consumer spending on goods in October recorded its strongest month-over-month gain since January at 1.1%, and it nearly matched spending levels during uh, during January. Real spending on services increased two-tenths of a percent, 
and overall real spending uh, or real cons uh, consumption expenditures or PCEs were up half a percent. The leading contributor to stronger goods consumption was spending on light trucks. Spending on durable goods outpaced that on non-durable goods. Real spending on durables um, were up 2.7 percent, uh, while real spending on non-durables ticked up only three-tenths of a percent. Concerns over how long such strong levels of consumer spending can or at least will continue were heightened as the Bureau of Economic Analysis revised its estimates for uh, worker compensation for April through September, and that resulted in a significant downward revision of BEA's estimates of the personal savings rate. The initial estimate of the September savings rate had been very low at 3.1%, but the revised savings rate for September is now 2.4%, and the initial estimate for October is 2.3%. Only once before has the savings rate been lower than this, and that was 2.1% in July of 2005. Okay, now finally on to the labor market. Uh, we'll start with job openings. Unfilled positions at the end of October were 3.3% lower than they were a month earlier. Although job openings had risen 4% in September, they fell 8% in August and have declined in five of the past seven months. Job openings in October were still nearly 48% higher uh, than during February of 2020, but that comparison was more than 69% as recently as March. Still, Continued solid job growth and low unemployment and participation rates suggest that a decline in job openings of 1.5 million from March to November doesn't really mean that much, given that job openings are still above 10 million. Job quits decreased uh, three or eight-tenths of a percent in October after falling 3% in September. Quits have declined in six of the past seven months, but they're still 17% above February 2020. The peak was almost 31% above uh, that pre-pandemic month a year ago. That was, of course, during the period when a lot of people were talking about the so-called Great Resignation. Last but not least, let's talk about the unemployment or the employment situation report for November, or what is more commonly referred to as the jobs report. Solid payroll growth continued in November with the addition of 263,000 jobs seasonally adjusted, according to initial estimates from the Bureau of Labor Statistics Establishment Survey. BLS also revised the October gain slightly higher to 284,000 jobs. Payroll employment is now just over a million jobs, or seven-tenths of a percent, above February 2020. As was the case in October, the separate BLS household survey, uh, which surveys homes or people, uh, individuals as opposed to businesses, did not really square with what we're seeing in the payroll or establishment survey. U.S. employment as measured by the household survey declined by 138,000 after falling 328,000 in October. The unemployment rate held steady at 3.7%, but labor participation continued its decline, dipping to 62.1%. Only once before, in July, uh, has the labor participation rate been that low this year. 
a declining rate is counterintuitive, frankly, given inflation, stock market volatility, um, and a fading pandemic, as we would assume that more idled workers would either want to or need to reenter the workforce um, and would feel more comfortable doing so um, with the pandemic fading. Um, but it just isn't happening. The latest payroll employment gains were in sectors hardest hit uh, by the uh, p- pandemic, uh, leisure and hospitality, education and health services, and in government. Within leisure and hospitality, restaurants and bars saw the largest gain in more than 62,000 jobs seasonally adjusted. Leisure and hospitality employment remains 980,000 jobs, or 5.8% below February 2020. Government jobs are still down 461,000, or 3.1%. The only major sector of the economy to lose jobs was trade, transportation, and utilities, and employment was down in each of those subsectors. Retail trade was down nearly 30,000 jobs, seasonally adjusted, uh, due entirely to general merchandise stores, which were down 32,200. Now, it's worth noting, though, that the sector added more than 100,000 jobs on a not seasonally adjusted basis. It's just that it trailed expectations quite substantially. The weakness within the transportation and warehousing subsector was concentrated in just two industries. That includes declines of 12,400 jobs in parcel and local delivery, or what's formally called couriers and messengers, and 12,500 jobs in warehousing and storage. Those were offset uh, by gains in several transportation-related sectors to yield a net loss for the entire transportation and warehousing subsector of just over 15,000 jobs. As was the case with general merchandise stores, however, couriers and messengers and warehousing and storage actually added jobs on an unadjusted basis. They just lagged seasonal expectations. For higher trucking's employment changed very little over the month. Um, The industry added 1,300 payroll jobs seasonally adjusted in November, but BLS also downwardly revised the October estimate by 1,100 jobs. So basically no change. The revision also smoothed out the previously reported swings in September and October without really changing the the net between the two of them uh, very much. Trucking's payroll employment is at an all-time high of 1.6 million jobs and 85,900 jobs, or 5.7%, above February 2020. More granular data available only through uh, October shows a very sharp increase in general freight truckload employment during that month. Payroll jobs in that segment jumped by 13,200, with employment now 7.4% ahead of February 2020 levels. The gains in general freight truckload were partially offset by weaker figures month over month for all other segments, with one exception, and that's long-distance specialized. Payroll employment and truckload undoubtedly is benefiting from high levels of failures amongst very small operations. Many of those firms are not captured by the monthly establishment survey, so the BLS likely treats the shift of those operations drivers to larger carriers uh, as a big gain in payroll jobs. Okay, let's wrap up this week's podcast by recapping some of the key takeaways for the week. 
Uh, diesel prices saw one of their largest single-week drops ever. Mortgage rates continued to fall in the latest week. Continued claims for unemployment benefits are the highest in nine months. The ISM Manufacturing Index is in contraction territory for the first time since May of 2020. Real consumer spending on goods rose 1.1%, largely due to vehicle sales. Updated data shows an even weaker personal savings rate than we thought. Job openings eased slightly in October, but are still above 10 million. The U.S. added 263,000 payroll jobs in November. Unemployment held at 3.7%. Labor participation dipped to 62.1%. And trucking saw little employment change in November, but parcel and local delivery uh, and warehousing and storage fell. Next week, we will talk about wholesale trade, the producer price index, and third quarter revenues for specific segments of the trucking industry. Plus, we'll cover the usual weekly metrics. That's it for FDR's Trucking Market Update, episode 191 for the week of December 5th, 2022. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we hope you will join us next week. That's it for this week's Trucking Market Update on the State of Freight podcast. You can find more publicly available State of Freight content and download the PDF and PowerPoint of today's presentation by going to www.ftrintel.com podcast. FTR is the leader in freight transportation forecasting in North America, providing consistently reliable reports for trucking, rail, and intermodal transportation, as well as providing demand analysis for commercial vehicle and rail car. For more information about the work of FTR, visit www.ftrintel.com or call us at 888-988-1699 to find out which publications will best support your business.